Colossian called Christ Above All. And today, as we begin this series, we're going to see how the power of Christ, the power of the work of Jesus on behalf of sinners, has the power to transform anyone and everyone. And so today, we're going to see the supremacy of Christ in his power to transform. So let's pray and ask God to help us in the next few minutes together. Lord, we need you, and we just pause and ask for your assistance. Lord, by your spirit, would you draw near to us? Would you cause us to see what we can't see with our physical eyes? Would you change our hearts? Would you cause us to be gripped with the wonder and the beauty and the glory of the gospel of Jesus? Help us in Christ, we pray. Amen. Now, hopefully, as you came in, you received a little something, and I literally mean little something. How many of you got a seed when you came in? How many of you got a seed? Okay, all right, a lot of you. So there's a funny thing about a seed. Uh, When you look at it, it, it's not very substantial. It's not very significant at all. It's it's rather tiny. It looks non-threatening, as it were. But what you hold in your hand is a spruce seed, which if you planted in the ground and given the proper conditions, that little tiny speck could become a tree that is over 60 feet tall. That little seed, though it looks insignificant, actually contains with it exceptional power, right? There's a lot of power in that seed, and we've all seen things like this before. If that seed is given the right conditions, it can break concrete. I think we have some images up here, do we? We do not. Okay, Jalen, you're fired. Okay, um... A seed has a power to break concrete. Have you seen that before? You're walking along a sidewalk, somehow a seed gets down in there and it breaks it open. A seed has the ability to disrupt the foundation of entire house so this massive structure can be built and if a seed gets down in there, it can uproot it. A seed even has the power to crack a rock or a boulder and split that thing wide open even though a seed in and of itself looks incredibly insignificant, it can contains great power. I bring this up because this seems to be the way the Apostle Paul is describing the work of the gospel here in the book of Colossians as a gospel seed, as it were. Look at verses five and six of chapter one. The gospel has come to you and it is bearing fruit and going all, growing all over the world. And then again in verse number 10, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit. There's the imagery again, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. It's as if Paul envisions gospel seeds being planted in the city of Colossae. And as a result, gospel saplings are starting to spring up all over the place. Paul was convinced that the gospel had the power to produce gospel fruit. Or to put it another way, gospel proclamation has the power to bring gospel transformation. When you proclaim the gospel, in that proclamation, there is the possibility, the reality, the power, the potential power to bring about transformation in someone's life. 
Now, no doubt you hear something like this, particularly when I put it in such a pithy and clever way, and you say something like, hmm, or that's good, or amen, or if you're really spiritual, like, oh, yes, Lord. (laughs) Say that. There you go. You are super spiritual. That's right. But here's the question. I I want us to really ask this question this morning. Do we believe this to be true? I mean, not theologically, but do we actually believe that gospel proclamation has the ability to bring about gospel transformation? Do you believe that the gospel can transform your coworker or your neighbor? Do you believe that our city can be different because of the gospel? Do you believe that your relationship with your family or your friends can be impacted by the gospel? Do you believe that the power of sin in your own life can be broken by the gospel? Here's the reality. Saying the gospel is strong and trusting in the gospel are not the same thing. Like we can say the gospel is strong. But that doesn't mean in our heart we're actually trusting in the gospel. We must both intellectually and firm and practically rely on the power of the gospel is what I'm saying this morning. We can't just say it with our head. We have to mean it from our hearts and live it out as a result. How many of you remember the the old Nerf balls? You know what I'm talking about? The, The orange ones and they were just spongy And those things were so light and so insignificant, you could take it and you could like get this running start and like, and it would go like three feet. You remember what I'm talking about? Like there was nothing to them at all. Friends, that's sometimes how we think about the gospel. We think it's like this little Nerf ball that no matter how hard we throw it, it's really not going to make that big of an impact on anybody. I mean, I could throw it right at John's head. And he'd be like, nothing. I would contend that we should think of the gospel more like a grenade. And if you all came in here with a grenade this morning, pin already pulled, you'd be walking around pretty carefully, right? And you would have confidence that if you pulled that pin and flipped the lever and you lobbed that grenade, you would have confidence that no matter where you threw it, it would make an impact, right? That is what we hold in our hand. In fact, a seed is actually a grenade. If you stop and think about it, it's just a slow exploding one, but it's a grenade nonetheless. And God has entrusted to you and I this gospel seed, and he urges us not to just say, ooh, that's strong, but to live as if it actually is, to put our confidence that it actually is, which leads me to my point this morning. It's simply this. We must have confidence in the power of the gospel. Certainly seems that the apostle Paul did. As you read the book of Colossians, Paul appears to be brimming with confidence in the message of Christ. So why? Why was he so confident in Christ's work? Why did Paul and why should we have confidence in the gospel's power? Exactly What kind of power does this message have? It is those questions that we'll try to wrestle with in the next few moments. So I just want to make a few observations this morning. The power of gospel seeds. Number one, the gospel has flexible power. 
Look again at the text. Verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ, Jesus, by God's will, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints in Christ at Colossae, who are faithful brothers and sisters, grace to you in peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. You have already heard about the hope and the word of the truth, the gospel that has come to you. It is bearing fruit and growing all over the world, just as it has among you since the day you heard it and came to truly appreciate God's grace. This would have been a typical first century letter greeting, complete with an introduction, a greeting to the recipients, and a word of thanks. In and of itself, there's nothing particularly spectacular about the opening of Colossians, other than the fact that it's written to the Colossians. You say, what do you, what do you mean by that, Ryan? Well, let me make just a, a couple of observations here. Why is it noteworthy that the book of Colossians is written to the believers at Colossae? Why is that a noteworthy thing? The first thing is this. Paul had never been there. Paul never went to the city of Colossae. He doesn't know them personally. In fact, look at the way he talks. Look at verse 4. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints. Paul doesn't know these people. He's just heard that their lives have been changed by the gospel. So Paul, the apostle, didn't go and plant the church at Colossae, but somehow the gospel of Jesus Christ made it to that city and that was enough. That's why it's noteworthy. Paul didn't have to go there for the transformation to take place. The gospel just had to go before him. Then the second thing is this that I want you to notice that why it's significant. Because Colossae was a mess. This city was a mess. You see, at this time, running rampant in the city is what theologians have come to refer to as the Colossian heresy. This was essentially a hodgepodge of Greek philosophy, Jewish legalism, and pagan superstition. At the most basic level, this false teaching denied the sufficiency of Christ. It said essentially this, Christ is not enough. And yet, in the midst of this theological quagmire, there is a vibrant, growing church that wasn't planted by an apostle. It's just as if it sprung up out of nowhere because the gospel seed worked its way down into this pagan city, and now a gospel sapling is starting to grow. So the gospel gets proclaimed in this heretical hotbed. I just wanted to work that into my message. I've never had the opportunity to say that phrase before, so heretical hotbed. I'm so proud of myself there. Okay, that's good. That's good. Without any apostolic envoy, and what happens? Lives are transformed. No Paul, no Peter, no James, no John, no the Lord Jesus, no apostle, just the gospel. And it gets its way into the city and the church is thriving. Here's the point. There is nowhere to which the gospel cannot go and there is no one to whom the gospel does not apply. Look, Paul makes this point emphatic in verse number six. Look at verse six again. The gospel is bearing fruit and growing. Where? All over the world. The gospel, brothers and sisters, is for everyone and ev for everywhere and everyone. And this should be incredibly encouraging to us because the gospel can take root in Christless place like Colossae. It can certainly do the same in Atlanta or Dubai 
or Addis Ababa or Beirut or wherever the gospel would dare get planted. If the gospel can take root here and you don't need an apostle to take it there, if it's just the message of Jesus and it gets in there and it takes root, that it could take root anywhere and everywhere that you would dare to plant it. And a couple of weeks ago, some of us had the opportunity to go to the Dominican Republic. And we were in this little community called Pika Pika. And uh, there, there had been, there was no church in this community, but basically these couple of believers went to the city and guess what happened? They just started sharing Christ with people. And in time, people started coming to know the Lord. And then two Sundays ago, I'm standing in Pika Pika preaching to a church that didn't exist, but simply because somebody went there and took the gospel there, people started to believe and the city began to be transformed. That's the idea. There is nowhere that the gospel can't penetrate. The gospel has flexible power. You can't say, well, that doesn't apply to me. No, are you human? It applies to you. You can't say, this doesn't work in my context. Yes, the gospel works in every context. There is no context in which the gospel does not apply. Brothers and sisters, this should fill us with hope because the gospel works everywhere. The question is not so much where you should take the gospel, but more where are you planting it right now? You don't have to go look for a place for the gospel to work. It works where you are at right now. And if you get in a plane and don't go overseas, the gospel works there too. Now, certainly, we have to be sensitive about context and particular peoples and all of those things. But ultimately, the same truth is this. Christ died for sinners. And anyone and everyone who would ever put their hope in him can be saved. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Brothers and sisters, Paul was enthusiastic about the gospel because it was an infinitely flexible message. Not that the message itself changed, but where it goes is the the possibilities are limitless. Number two, not only does the gospel have flexible power, but the gospel also has durable. I'm sorry. The gospel has accessible power. As I said, unlike many of the churches mentioned in the New Testament, the church at Colossae was not planted by Paul. So who started this thing? Who started this church in this city? Well, we we don't have to guess. It says in verses number seven and eight. Look down there, chapter one, verses seven and eight. You, speaking to the Colossians, learn this from Epaphras, our dearly loved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has told us about your love in the Spirit. So Epaphras, or Epaphras, brought the gospel to the Colossians. So who is he? Well, he's only mentioned three times in the entire Bible. Once here, once at the end of Colossians, and once in Philemon. Essentially, from these passages, here's what we learn. He was some sort of ministry associate of the Apostle Paul who had a particular burden for Colossae, so he took the gospel there and started the Colossian church. That's all we know about this guy. That is his bio from the scripture. Now, you say, so how is that relevant? Well, it should be super encouraging to us because it means that you do not have to be on the Lord's varsity team or some sort of spiritual superhero to be used by the Lord. 
God uses all kinds of people. We don't know anything about this dude, and yet he goes and he starts this gospel movement in this city. How many Marvel fans here? Okay, a few of you. So in the movies, Thor's got a hammer. Who can pronounce it right? Mole here, yeah, yeah, something like that. Say it again, Sarah. Milnir. So Thor's got this hammer, and, and, and only the worthy can lift it. Okay, so there's this joke through the whole series of movies that only Thor can lift it because only he is worthy, right? That's, that's the joke running through. And when Thor picks up this thing, I mean, he just decimates people with this weapon, but only he is worthy to pick it up. Friends, the gospel is the anti-mill here. You don't have to be awesome. You don't have to be impressive. You just have to be trusting in Jesus. And if you wield the power of the gospel, it it is yours to command. It is accessible to you. You do not have to be on God's varsity team to wield the gospel power in someone else's life. This is amazing to me. This is mind-blowing to me. Here's what it means. Someone can be saved. Someone's eternal destiny can be shifted because you shared the gospel with them. Someone who is on their way to hell can be rescued from eternal damnation and rescued to eternal bliss with God because of you. You wielded that message. A person's life, a person's life can be transformed because you spoke and applied the gospel and helped them be transformed. A community, a city can be changed because you wielded the gospel's power in your life. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You don't have to be impressive. You don't have to be some sort of spiritual all-star. You just have to trust in Christ and the gospel power is accessible to you. God loves it that way. He doesn't say only the worthy can wield the gospel. He says any Anyone who has trusted in my son can take that message that has saved them and transfer it and apply it and help someone else with that same rescuing message of life. You have access to the gospel, brothers and sisters. Go plant some seeds. Go plant some seeds. Because God's given you a whole bunch of them that you are free to spread wherever you will. Listen, God uses ordinary people to accomplish his extraordinary work. And that has always been God's way. And if you read the story of the New Testament, you read the book of Acts, kind of the epicenter of Christianity when Acts starts is where? Who knows? Where does it start, kind of? In the book of Acts. Wow, we're struggling, folks. This is, I'm so embarrassed. (laughs) What city? Jerusalem, okay? So for the first several chapters of Acts, the kind of epicenter of Christianity is there in Jerusalem. But yet about halfway through the book and the center of gravity, as it were, shifts. It moves to a city that is what? Antioch, that is correct. So it goes from Jerusalem and it moves to Antioch. And from Antioch, the gospel starts to go worldwide. 
You know, it's where Paul and Barnabas and eventually Paul and Silas are sent out as kind of the first global missionaries attempting to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. So you stop and ask the question, at least I do. Okay, so it started in Jerusalem. It moved to Antioch. How did the gospel get there? Who planted this amazing church that would become a missionary powerhouse? Who planted this church that would be central to the Christian message? And we read in Acts chapter 11, verse number 19 and 20, we are told who it is. Look, now those who had been scattered as a result of a persecution that started because of Stephen made their way as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. Verse 20. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, proclaiming the good news about the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord's hand was with them, and a large number of who believed turned to the Lord. That's awesome! You know who started the church in Antioch? Some of them. Some of them. I mean, that's just the Lord's way. He often works through the nameless, through the people that aren't that impressive, the people that aren't spectacular. Some of them planted this church, and as a result, the gospel goes global. That is good news for a nobody like me. God can use people like you and I who aren't that impressive to do miraculous things. God's power is available to every believer. God certainly uses the bold Peters. He certainly uses the cerebral Pauls. He certainly uses the gifted Apollos' and the wealthy Tabithas of the world. But most of God's work is accomplished by the ordinary, largely unknown people in the earth like you and me. The next Apostle Paul may not be seated in this auditorium. But I see a bunch of Epaphrases. We may not have the Apostle Paul among us. But I see a bunch of ordinary believers who God can use to do extraordinary things. Listen to this very carefully. God is more concerned about your availability than your ability. Friends, the gospel power is accessible to you. It is accessible to you. Let's wield it. Let's wield it. If God can use Epaphras to start a gospel movement, a person we know little about, he can certainly use ordinary folks like us. Number three, the gospel has durable power. Paul wants to make it clear that faith in the gospel is not just how you become a Christian. It's how you live as a Christian as well. Or as we like to say it around here, the gospel is not just the diving board into the Christian life, it's the whole pool. You don't move on from the work of Jesus on your behalf. Look at verse 9. For this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience joyfully, giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to 
share in the saints, in inheritance in the light. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the son he loves. In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Obviously, there's a ton there. But I think essentially Paul is urging the Colossians to continue to sink their roots deeper into the gospel. The more the Colossians understood and appreciated what Christ had done on their behalf, the more it would transform their daily lives. Or to put it very succinctly, all Christian growth is ultimately gospel growth. You don't grow detached from the gospel. Let me use an illustration. Let's say today after church, you go home, you know, you get your lunch, you sit down on the couch and you're like, man, I think I'm just gonna watch some TV. So you sit down and you hit the remote and nothing happens. And you keep pressing it, nothing happens. And then whoever is there with you walks over and says, oh, it's not gonna work. The TV is unplugged. It doesn't have any power. To which you say, well, I'm just going to watch one show. You say, well, Ryan, that, that doesn't make any sense. You, you, can't make, you can't watch any TV apart from being plugged in, right? Like, you can't watch one show. You can't watch half a show. You can't watch any show. You have to have a power source. Brothers and sisters, in the same way, you can't grow at all if you are unplugged from the gospel of Jesus Christ. You will make no progress in your Christian life if you are not attached to the work of Jesus on your behalf. I'm not going to go into a, a great deal of explaining and unpacking what that means, but I think it's basically what Jesus is saying in John chapter 15, verse number 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Now notice the last phrase though, for apart from me you can do nothing. This is a TV pre-TV. He's the vine and the branches. He's saying, look, if you are not attached to me, if you are not connected to my work on your behalf, you can do absolutely nothing. So what does that mean? What does it mean to be connected to the gospel? There is much we could say about this, but let me make two very simple, practical observations when we are connected to the gospel, I think we should be experiencing two things. Here's the first thing. If you are connected to the gospel, you should be experiencing a growing appreciation for Christ's finished work. If you are remaining attached to the gospel, you will be experiencing a growing appreciation for Christ's finished work. Where do you get that? Look at verse 13. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us in the kingdom of his son he loves. In him, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Notice the emphasis that Paul is making here. It's not so much on what we should do, but what Christ has done for us. One sign that you are staying connected to the gospel is that you are consistently reflecting on Christ's finished work on your behalf. To put it simply, we should think more about what God has done for us than about what we can do for God. Do you understand what I'm saying there? You should think about what you should do for God, but the emphasis should be on what God has already done for you. That's why we sing the way we do here. 
The songs are often drawing our attention, not to what we need to do, but rather to what has been done for us, which propels us to do what we need to do. Let's not get the cart before the horse. The priority in our life, if you are staying connected to the gospel, there will be in you a growing appreciation for what Christ has done. Are you regularly meditating on Christ's work on your behalf? Are you growing in your theological understanding of the atonement, of justification, of redemption, of reconciliation? Do you frequently worship the Lord for rescuing you from your sins? Is there a growing appreciation in your heart, not on what you need to do, but what has already been done for you? Truly gospel-connected people are worshipers. Because they are blown away by what Jesus has done. And that appreciation only deepens as the years go by. Second thing, if you're staying connected to the gospel, I think we'll also notice a growing recognition of the Spirit's empowering presence. You say, what do you mean by that? Look at verse 11. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. When you're staying connected to the gospel, there is a deepening sense of moment-by-moment dependence on the Lord. That is, you begin to realize that you cannot do what God has called you to do without his help. Man, I, I really, Pastor Rod and I, God has been very gracious to us in giving us the relationship that he has given us. And It is a very frequent habit of he and I. We'll be talking on the phone or sitting across lunch, and we'll just start talking about something, and we won't know the answer to that. And we'll just, one of us will say, hey, man, let's just pray about that. We'll stop right there and pray about that. And look, that's not us trying to be super spiritual. That's just we've gotten to the point in our life, in our ministry, where we're like, hey, this is beyond our pay grade. We can't do what God is calling us to do unless he gets involved. If you are staying connected to the gospel, there's just going to be like a moment by moment, Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. Lord, help me. Strengthen me. Enable me. I can't can't treat my wife the way I should. I can't treat my husband the way I should. I want to tear my coworker's face off. Nobody in here like that, right? I'm sure. This guy that cut me off, I want to kill him literally right now. Lord, I need you. I'm afraid to share the gospel with my neighbor. I'm anxious right now. Lord, I need you. Help me. Help me. I can't parent these kids, their little hearts. I can't tweak him at all. Help me. All these people that you've called us to take care of, Lord, help me. The more you're staying connected to the gospel, I think the more that little phrase is escaping your lips. Help. 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 I need you. I need you. I need you, Lord. But here's the good news. When God calls, he also enables. If you are staying connected to the gospel, you are walking in, a, in that reality. I'm tempted to be angry, but Christ died to give me the spirit who is stronger than my anger, so I don't have to be angry right now. I'm tempted to be afraid, but through the spirit, Christ is present with me in my circumstances, so I don't have to be fearful. Sometimes people think that as they mature in their faith, they some sort of outgrow their need for the gospel and move on to bigger and better things. But I do not think that is the testimony of scripture. I think in one sense, you've heard me share this illustration before. I'm gonna keep doing it again because I haven't thought of a better one yet. 
very much the gospel is like addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division. Right? You learn those things when you're a little kid. You learn to add, subtract, multiply, and divide. And then you get into high school and you start to learn what? Algebra. I know cold sweat's coming right now. And then what? Geometry. And then what? Trigonometry. And if you're really hardcore, calculus. And then if you're Julian, some sort of wacky astrophysics stuff, right? But no matter how complex of mathematics you do, you're always doing what? Addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division. You never move on from those things. And brothers and sisters, I don't care how long you've been a Christian, you never outgrow your need for the gospel. You never move on. There's never anything bigger and better. The gospel is not just the ABCs. It is the A to Z. It is not just the diving board into the Christian life. It is the whole pool. You never move on from the work of Christ in your life. Jesus died to give us power. It's not just a message of then and there, one day when we get to heaven. It is a message for here and for now. Christ wants you to sink down your roots into the gospel so that you can feel the durable power of the message of Christ. So where does this all leave us? What what does it look like to have confidence in the Bible and the gospel? That its power is flexible. It's for anyone and everyone. That its, its power is accessible. Anybody can wield it. And that its power is durable. It's for those who have trusted in Jesus as well as those who have not. What what does that look like to live that out? Let me close with three very quick, very simple things. Number one, plant the seed. If we have confidence that the gospel has power to change people, then we will share it. If we really believe the gospel has power to change people, we will share it. If you've trusted in Jesus, then no doubt you would like to see people come to know the Lord. But let me be blunt. Let me be very blunt. We cannot reap what we have not sown. Let me kindly challenge all of us. Are you regularly sharing the good news with others? Reaping a gospel harvest requires sowing gospel seeds. You can't just expect the harvest to come out of nowhere. If you want to reap a harvest of the gospel, you've got to sow seeds in your life. Brothers and sisters, we, we need it. this needs to be a word of a rebuke to us a little bit. We can't claim to say we have confidence in the gospel and then say, I haven't shared it with anybody for three years. It just doesn't add up. If we truly have confidence that the gospel can change, then it should be regularly, consistently spilling from our mouth and coming up in our conversations. This is not to be a a word of judgment or legalism, but we need to do a reality check and look in the mirror a little bit. We cannot reap what we have not sown. So let's sow some seeds, brothers and sisters. Let's plant some seeds. Number two, I'd encourage you in this. Multiply the seed. Man, if we're confident in the gospel's power, then we should seek to do all that we can to see the gospel seed spread as far as possible. This would mean we invest our time, our talent, and our treasure to see the gospel go 
forward. So the simple question is this, how are you leveraging your time, your talent, your treasure to see the gospel go farther? Are you giving generously? Are you serving regularly? Are you leveraging all that you are, all that God has made you to be to say, you know what, this message counts for eternity. I'm all in. And I'm going to leverage everything that I am to see the gospel goes forward. And if that means I have to sacrifice some me time, means I have to go apart from some luxury that I would like to have, then all be it because I'm about seeing the gospel seed multiply. So first, plant the seeds. Second, multiply the seeds. And third is simply this, trust the seed. <laughs> Do you believe that the gospel... The message of Jesus Christ can rescue someone from hell that doesn't know Jesus. Yes or no? Okay, say amen if you believe that. Amen. amen. If you're a Christian, you believe that because you've experienced it, right? But sometimes we forget that it can rescue us too. If you can rescue the person that doesn't know Jesus and snatch them from eternal judgment from God, can it break the power of sin in your life today? And some of you are struggling with an area of sin and you feel hopeless, like you cannot break it. I'm telling you, plant some seed and trust the seed in your life. Trust that the gospel has the power not just to change your destination, but it has the power right now to change the way you live. The gospel has that kind of power. One of my favorite theologians said it this way, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, I think it's up on the screen. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? How often are you speaking the truth of the gospel into your life? Are you preaching the gospel to yourself and saying, this can break the power of my lust. It can break the power of my greed. It can break the power of my fear. Christ is stronger. He is greater than my sin. He didn't just come for one day when I get to heaven. He came to rescue me right now. And Lord, I need a rescuer and I'm trusting in you right now. Do you talk to yourself like that? Because if you don't, brothers and sisters, it's no wonder you're getting whooped by sin. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves than listening to the lies that our heart so often tells us. So if you want to sow some gospel seeds, if you want to have confidence in the gospel, plant some seeds, multiply that seed, and then trust the seed to do its work that only it can do in your heart. Let's pray together. Lord, we need you. I'm keenly aware of that right now. I pray that you would take your word and you would plant it deep in our heart. The gospel would take root in us in fresh ways. Lord, would you change us? Would you multiply us? Would you help us to trust the work of your gospel? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Will you all stand with me? We're gonna worship the Lord together in just a moment. I'm gonna ask our prayer team to go to the side.